Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of immersive travel stories from Scotland. I'm your host and storyteller, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland, its people, wildlife, landscapes and histories. In every episode, I either whisk you away on a beautiful adventure or introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. In between, I share my top tips for your own Scotland trip and how to follow in my footsteps. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Do you feel safe swimming in the sea? My relationship with the ocean has always been accompanied by not just a sense of respect, but an almost irrational fear of the deep, dark unknown that could overpower me with the bat of an eyelid or the crashing of a wave. When I look back at some of my experiences in the sea, it's almost a miracle that I'm comfortable swimming in it at all. But in the last few years, I've increasingly fallen in love with not just swimming in the sea, but particularly the cold waters of the Scottish West Coast. And while I owe a lot of that to friends who asked me over and over again to go swimming with them, there was one experience in particular that made me feel more at ease in the big blue ocean. And that's a swimming lesson with Dan the Merman, an open water swim coach based in Argyll. Ever since that first swim together at Ganavan Sands, I've learned a lot from Dan. Every time I go swimming in cold water, I rely on the breathing techniques he taught me. And last year, he was our swim and snorkel coach at the Argyle Hope Spot residency and kept us safe. It is an absolute pleasure to finally have him on the show. I caught up with Dan near his home in Argyle just a few weeks before he embarked on yet another artist residency at the Argyle Hope Spot. We talk about his journey as a swimmer, how swimming helps him to connect with his Gaelic heritage and how we can use Gaelic language and culture to foster a better understanding of the marine environment around us. Of course, we'll also talk about fear, why so many of us are afraid of the ocean, and what we can do to overcome it. Let's hear it from the merman himself. Here's Dan Coyle.
Hello, Dan. Do you want to start us off by introducing yourself with your name, your preferred pronouns, if possible, and also a little bit about what you do? Fiskema, um, it's Misha Donal, um, Hami Furakaun and Karen Ban, Aragail, she Oyes na Fiak, Agus Bun teacher Anan Bun Skal, Hanem. So yeah, I'm I'm Dan or, or Donal. I am an open water swim coach and wild swim guide uh, in Argyle, and I live in Cairnban, right in the heart of Argyle. Amazing. And we're sitting on a beautiful ledge in the middle of a forest, looking down onto Cairnban and the Crinning Canal as well, which is a, is a lovely setting for our conversation today. Um, so you see you're a swim teacher. What sparked that interest into swimming? Was that always something you did? And kind of what got you into doing it professionally as well? Yeah, it's funny because my, my parents can't swim. Um, but from a young age, my mom especially wanted to make sure we could handle ourselves in open water. And I think it was because she was kind of denied that as a child and always had that fear. And maybe this is something we'll talk about a bit later as well um, in terms of biophobia and things like that. I've always been around water. I learned, learned to swim really in, in Donegal, north coast of Ireland. Um, and just through coming to Argyle um, before I moved here and, and, and always been drawn to the sea, especially freshwater lochs, but also also the sea. Uh, it's always been my, my kind of my, my home, my place. And it's now my place of work. So. And how did that come about that it is actually your work today? Yeah, interesting. Do you know, it, it, kind of a bit by accident in a way, because probably about four years ago, I started reassessing my life and what I was doing. And um, I went to a four day week uh, and that just totally changed my life in terms of having that extra day just to think more and be in nature and just slow down and stop. Um, and thankfully, with, with the support of my wife as well, um, I uh, realised how much I love swimming, how much I love being in the sea, also freshwater lochs. And um, I wanted to do something which, where I could do that all the time as much as possible. And doing the open water swim coaching qualification gave me the kind of avenue to doing that and, and realising that I can actually make a living out of it. I'll never be a millionaire, but, um, uh, you know, a living nonetheless. And um, my mom said to me, she, she takes, she's a nurse and she takes care of people who are near, nearing the end of their life. And she said, um, people never talk about their retirement. They always regret, regret what they didn't do, you know, in their, you know, when they're in their prime. Um, and that's always stuck with me. And I thought, you know, what? I'm in, in my mid thirties now. I want to do something while I'm in my prime, while I'm able to do it, that I enjoy. It's always, always making me a bit emotional talking about it because it's, yeah, it means so much to me. Mm. And it's absolutely amazing to know that that's how you manage to create a life for yourself. Yeah. Very yeah. consciously. I think a lot of people don't have that opportunity or might not know that they have the opportunity to mm. do that. And maybe it's something that a lot of people during the pandemic have discovered a little bit more for themselves as well mm -hmm. to create that space and to really consciously make an effort to think what do I want to do and how do I want to spend my time so it's very nice that you were able to do that and it's one of the things you know um, why I wanted to have you on the podcast for a while the first time we met was a few years ago swimming um, you gave me a swim lesson at mm. Ganavan Sands in Oban and we had lunch afterwards and I think you're just one of the most inspiring people to speak to because of that very conscious way you have changed your life and created your life 
and found a place for you. Uh, mm. Also here in, in Argyle and that's kind of another thing I wanted to ask you to tell our listeners a bit more about. They can probably hear, even though you're a Gaelic speaker, your accent is in Scottish. <laughs> um, can you tell us more about how you ended up here in the heart of Argyle? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so what ultimately triggered the move was my wife's job. So she's a principal teacher at a local school and we were always wanting to move. So we used to live in, in Linlithgow in the central belt and we you know we i've always had this almost ancestral urge to return to gaeldom and I, I wasn't actually too fussed about where i went as long as it was the west coast or island i knew i just had to be there and um so this opportunity came up with my wife to you know a really good job teaching in a, in a local primary school and i was already an open water swim coach at that point so i was operating you know in the central belt area and yeah overnight more or less i reimagined how it might be here and again I've got to mention my wife here because it was her support really that enabled me to me to do this and uh, it was quite scary but I just I always had the the attitude where I'm not going to plan anything I'm just going to let things happen naturally and um, follow my intuition and I think that's really important with business or uh, a hobby or life generally just follow your intu intuition that is that is the most important thing and that's what I've done amazing it's also something really important when you're out in the water i think as well absolutely yeah um, really good point and and staying safe and and staying within your comfort zone while also pushing those boundaries a little bit um really good trusting point. what is the right kind of fishing and, and what is the wrong kind of uh, danger zone i guess definitely <laughs> definitely now you live here in in the heart of argyle you are a gaelic speaker you said you you wanted to be immersed in the Galdom and, and return to that. Can you tell us a bit about in what ways you connect with that cultural heritage? And maybe just generally, what is your cultural heritage? What is your mm. personal connection with Gaelic culture? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, well, it's increasingly a, a huge part of my life. Admittedly, when, it, ad admittedly, when I first arrived, probably it was less so. But I remember soon after we moved in and I went swimming in Loch Sween, which is just around the corner, and you know it yourself. And that's quite an interesting body of water for me because my ancestors, the, the McSweens, um, left there hundreds of years ago to go to Donegal. And that law was kept in my family in, in Donegal. My granny always told me he was a native Gaelic speaker, or sorry, sorry, native Irish Gaelic speaker in Donegal, always kept that tradition alive and, and reminded us that, you know, we actually have this link to Argyll across the sea. So swimming in that body of water, and what, what, it, was, it was one cold, you know, as you know, I love winter swimming. And it was a brutally cold day, but the sun was shining. It was just hitting the loch beautifully. And I remember just thinking, I need to learn my ancestral language. You know, it, it, as I'm building this business and I'm building this, 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 this brand and rooting it from me, it's very rooted in me. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be genuine and authentic here, I, I need to connect with this this the, the language of this land and I think as a guide in Gaelic Scotland that's so important mm. I think if it, as an ecologist or, or as a nature-based tour guide it's so important to have a working knowledge of that um, at least you don't have to be fluent but working knowledge nonetheless so yeah picking up sorry what you were saying about my my ancestral links so as I said I've got that link with Argyle um, apart from that it's mainly the west coast of Ireland and the north of Ireland and I'm really interested in how the, the culture of our 
pan-national people interconnect and how we're all, we all share something very much in common across the islands and the highlands and the glens and even across the sea to Ireland as well. Um, that's really interesting to me, especially in things like our local dialect, uh, the words that we use that are similar. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from each other. Mm, absolutely. And so you've mentioned there swimming in Loch Sween. Mm-hmm. And I guess that leads into my next question in terms of what role swimming plays within that discovery almost, you know, and, and reclamation of, of cultural heritage. Mm. Where does swimming come into that? Because, yeah, you could probably just be learning Gaelic and that would maybe be enough for some people. Mm-hmm. But I think for you, swimming plays a really important part in that too. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, definitely. A really good question. I think swimming for me and 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 Gaelic culture are closely connected because firstly the word snarf it's much older than it is in English you know it's going back probably 13 1400 years um it's it it has a place in Gaelic culture in the sense that clans we know that clans uh when engaging in fosterage when children were were sent to a, a neighboring clan to build a sense of kinship they were sent sort of a lower teenage age or or kind of um, puberty age where they would have to learn skills but at the same time build a powerful sense of uh, a kinship with that family so you know when it came to war you'd you'd fight for each other and one of the expectations on the the fostering family was that they would teach them how to swim Mm. and I think that's interesting in the modern age because although we have swimming on the national curriculum you know it's really a postcode lottery as to who gets that and it really depends on your your privilege and, and and where you are and you know what kind of school you go to. Unfortunately, even in this even this area, not 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 all children have the opportunity to learn to swim, especially in open water. So back then, our our, our Gaelic ancestors were kind of ahead of their time in many ways, mm. you know. And it was just an expectation that 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 you that you could handle yourself in in if you fell into a freshwater loch or out in the sea when you're fishing or things like that. So. Yeah, I think also in terms of the law as well, we have the the Kaliach, uh just over in the Corrvreken, and I'm so drawn to the Corrvreken. Uh, I swam across it last year, and I think just the fact that she's there as an as an embodiment of that place, you know, uh, as a sort of figure of 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 culture and evocative story, it it kind of draws you in into that. And I think I mean, I'm probably I don't speak for everyone, but I really wanted to swim across it i know some people it might they might be like well i don't want to do that but um that's what drew me in and even by the very nature of gaelic scotland you know we have islands we have glens we have sea lochs we have island just over there water and sea is always going to play a part in that story and how our people uh, communicate with each other and 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 um visit each other and interact so yeah even just the, the very landscape of our guile and the highlands and islands dictate that for me absolutely and there's obviously so many stories and mythological creatures and life lesson mm-hmm. kind of packaged up and wrapped up into stories that have to do with water to some extent on the west coast as well if listeners want to go back and listen to our special episode um about coast the storytelling project on the west coast of scotland mm. i've picked a few stories that are related with water and i think uh, like you say it's gonna always play a an important role in it because it is literally everywhere mm-hmm. um, and in case people don't know Argyle has the longest coastline in Scotland mm. because it has so many intricate lochs and fjord-like sea lochs and, and things like that so yeah I'm not surprised that water plays such a big role 
in terms of the culture and the the oral history um, mm-hmm. of of the people as well in in this part of the world. Absolutely. You've mentioned the exchange between families and the kind of fosterage uh, system between between clans and families in in Gaelic culture and in Scottish history. Are there any other things like that kind of Gaelic concepts or or um, traditions, I guess, that have mm. to do with water that resonate with you or you find fascinating? I mean, I suppose the tr- traditional and probably well-known cultural story, if you like, is is the one of the Selkie, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, and ma- many of your listeners. Um, and this idea that you know that um, we have this being that can can transform from land to sea easily and take on a human form, um, which is you know Norse Gaelic culture, but also you know he- heavily rooted in Gaelic culture. I, I always come across seals and there's one particular seal in Loch Sween, going back to Loch Sween again. And this, I think, is quite evocative for me because of my ancestral links to, to that loch. And it, I actually named the seal Dulach because I always came across them, across this seal, I'm not sure if it's male or female, in winter. Mm-hmm. And Dulach is the um, is the Gaelic word for December. Uh, and it means kind of like dark month. So... Yeah, the the seal. I think partly because of the, the the story and and the the association with the selkie for me has has a lot of resonance. And in terms of Gaelic culture, you have the the deer and which is known as as fiech, and that means literally the wild one. And you have um, a hare, which which the translation would be a, a wee wild one, a small <laughs> wild one. But then you've also got the seal, which has the same kind of relationship to those other two animals because they tend to take on human forms in storylines. So, yeah, for sure, the seal, I mean, a lot of people, when they see a seal, they think, oh, but, I'd, you know, it's not as special as seeing a whale or um, an orca or something like that. But actually, I love seeing seals because they have that kind of almost human facial structure and uh, they're so curious. And uh, I, yeah, for sure, have, have an association with that and I, f- I feel connected to Dulach in Loch Sween, who I'm looking forward to seeing again this winter. It's interesting that I, I only ever see, I swim in that loch all the time, but it's just in winter. Mm-hmm. And that's my, my favourite, as we've talked about, it's one of my favourite times of the year. Well, it's probably the, fa- my, the, the, the best time of year for me to swim. I love swimming in winter. Maybe the seal just wonders who would be maybe crazy enough to swim in winter. In yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. Yes, yes. That's um, when it's most fascinating maybe to, to watch swimmers um, in, in that loch. For sure, um, yes. But, you know, I'm, I'm not that scared of cold water anymore. Absolutely. I think ever since we swam together, I have been on a journey. So uh, yeah, cold water been... has definitely become more of my friend in the last two years or so. So You're I can see that. A natural in that environment, for sure. <laughs> So you mentioned Loch Sween. Are there any other ancestral waterways that you feel really closely connected with mm-hmm. and you've swum in? Mm-hmm. Any stories you can share about those experiences? Absolutely. I think I mentioned the Cod of Reken and, or the Cod of Reken, and that's probably the one which stands out because of how fabled that particular stretch of body of water is. But I kind of view the entire coastline of Aragail, Argyle, coast of the Gale, as my ancestral waterway probably going all the way to Ireland and then all the way up towards Yalen Skienach, um the Isle of Skye and um and that area it's to me that's it's the anywhere in the Gaeltacht I, I associate with um and I feel at home 
I'm really looking forward, to, for example, to these sailing trips that I'll be on this year because I'll be navigating these waterways and immersing in them, but as close to what my ancestors would have done, which would have been, you know, it's by wind power, by sail, and actually just letting the wind take me to where these locations will be, not saying, all right, we're going to be going here today and then here. We're just going to be very much following in nature's wake. Um, so, yeah, I'm look, really looking forward to rediscovering my ancestral waterways in that sense as well. That's amazing. That also perfectly leads, I guess, into my next question, what you just see, said there about exploring the coast and, and traveling the coast by the power of nature mm. and letting nature almost take control over where you're going to end up exactly. Mm. There's this Gallic concept, and I've tried practicing this pronunciation and I'm probably going to say it wrong again. Duchas. Casta. Duchas. Mohen. So there's the Gallic concept of duchas, mm -hmm. and For anyone who's never heard of this before, I've kind of tried to put together a definition of this, but I would love to hear your thoughts on, on, on that, of course, as well. The way I understand it is that it describes how everything is interlinked, including humans and nature, animals, anything basically in the world is connected and dependent on each other, as well as the past and the future mm. um, with the present. But one thing that I find really important is that there's a, an additional element to it that to me, the best word to describe is, is a sense of stewardship, uh, a responsibility as humans to take care of nature and, and foster and I guess celebrate those connections and, and the, those interlinks as well. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe how I would describe Duchas. Mm -hmm. How would, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I think you've provided a really comprehensive Uh, analysis and description of that so fantastic um, what I would say is that in Gaelic we you're never from somewhere you're of somewhere so th this ties in quite nicely with Dukas and what you've described because uh, you know you say you know sound and air in August Alabahami I'm I'm of the people of Scotland and Ireland I'm not I'm not from there it doesn't belong to me but I belong to it And I think that's really interesting because it's consistent with a lot of other indigenous languages across the world. For example, the Anishinaabe people that I was very lucky to, to welcome to Gaelic Scotland as part of a, an environmental look at how we can give back to the land. And they're, they're, exact, they're saying exactly the same thing. You know, you're, you're, you don't own this land, you're of it. And very much what Dulchus is all about is remembering that and, and knowing that You know, you, 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 will, you will at one point not be here anymore. This will still be here um, and you need to protect it. You need to take care of it. All those things you've just been saying. Um, and there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a, an ancient phrase, and which means, uh, you know, the, the, the Dorcas or the heritage will be thrown against the rocks, but it'll always come back. So if you have a sense of Dorcas, wherever it might be and wherever you might be in the world, you can always return to it. And especially for a culture and a language that has been through what Gaelic or Gaelic has been through, it's a really important thing to remember. Mm, absolutely. And how would you say that sense of stewardship shows up in your work and how does it influence how you teach swimming or do anything else uh, within kind of the, the work you do with school children, uh, the tourism work that you do? How, how does that translate into your, your daily really, work? That's a brilliant question. I think... It's made me um, think more deeply about being an ecologist because 
what how I operate and what's really important to me is operating sustainably. For example, doing the sailing trips, I do a lot of work in terms of guiding snorkeling in the area. Um, we have some amazing world-class, as you, as you know, snorkeling sites nearby. Being very particular about where I take people, how often I take them there, very important. Um, but also, while I'm doing all of this and while I'm effectively, you know, doing the nuts and bolts of my job, you know, I teach people swimming and snorkeling and guiding them. It's getting across the vision, the, the Gaelic vision or the Gaelic vision of, of the world and seeing things through a Gaelic lens, which is more sympathetic to nature. Um, so, yeah, certainly Dulcus comes through that. But also you mentioned working with children. I, I do provide sessions for children, which I think is really important. Um, I also work one day a week at a primary school. And what I've started to do this year, more so next year, is doing a, a, a Gaelic club for children trying to get across the indigenous dialect of this area and I'm really hoping that I can actually link that in with nature as well and, and, and get them actually out into nature while speaking the language and um, hopefully providing another generation of of ecologists in the area who can who really appreciate that what's on their doorstep and see it through the through the gale lens that's really important I think that can be really powerful as as a as an environmental uh, step if you like across Gaelic Scotland. Absolutely. And what I really enjoy, particularly when I look at some of the things you put out on Instagram and social media, is that you always include, you don't just talk about a seal or a seagrass or kelp, you always include the Gaelic name of those things in the sea and maybe a story about the, the role it played in Gaelic culture or in history, how it was used maybe by local people in the past or how it's still used today. And I think there is a there is an element of normalizing of speaking about things in that language and through that cultural lens, like you say, mm -hmm. and just looking at it in the way that Gales and Gaelic people look at it, um, even mm. though, you know, as non-Gaelic speakers, I think it's really important to keep that in mind. And it also just is a beautiful language to listen to and mm -hmm. to read. Um, personally, I, I always find nature and Gaelic to me very much go hand in hand And I'm always happy when I learn a new Gaelic vocabulary that describes nature and, and gives me a different connection with it as well, mm. rather than just the English word or the German word um, in, mm. in my native tongue. So, yeah, it's a great language, I think, to speak about nature. Absolutely. I'd say kumorst. Keep going. You're doing, you know, you're doing really well. And like your pronunciation of dulcus was, that's not an easy word to say. So and it's such a powerful and, you know, meaningful word in the language. So... Thank you very much. Well, I, I encourage every listener to actually look in the show notes and see how the word is spelled because there are a lot more letters <laughs> in the words than you actually yeah. say. So yeah. uh, I do appreciate that very, very much. Absolutely. Sorry, one other thing I'd say, you just reminded me of something. Um, I had a session the other day with a marine biologist, a student from, um, I think, Sterling. We were just talking about seaweed and I, and I said, you know, the Gaelic word for seaweed is femin. Femme, and then I went in, and then I described a little bit more about what the words meant. So, so femme kind of describes like a stalk or a plant, and mean in in old Ga Gaelic or old Gaelic would would refer to almost like a like a watercourse, mm -hmm. like a flowing of water. And you put those two words together, and you suddenly you've got this beautiful poetic word. And then you look at it in English, seaweed, yeah, and it's almost like denigrating it yeah. into a weed. A weed is something um, bad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And and and. It just, and this was a marine biologist, and it totally just changed their view 
mm. of what this what this was. I mean, obviously they have a being a marine biologist, they had a really uh, you know they had a, a good appreciation for it anyway. But it just opened up a new world, and it shows you how the Gales viewed nature in terms of you know this was an important um, plant and it was important to preserve it and to take care of it. Whereas you know when you look at like a weed, suddenly it's something which Ah, mm. oh, you know, in your garden that you just have to get rid of, or yeah, um, it's not important. So I think that was just you know something as simple as that it was a really interesting, a really interesting perspective to have for that person, or yeah. new perspective to have. And I think for seaweed as well, I think it 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 captures the essence of it in its best state because I think a lot of people the only time they really see seaweed is at low tide. Um, right. either when the, when it's low tide or when the seaweed has been washed up on the beach and it starts stinking and mm. and it's actually not very nice and it's just a pile of of, of dead debris. Mm. Uh, whereas, of course, if you do see it underwater, if you you have the chance to go snorkeling or even swimming with with goggles on, you know, mm. and just take a quick look underwater and seeing it in flow in its natural mm. habitat, so to say, and as it moves gracefully through the water, mm-hmm. it's quite a different. Um, image to keep in your mind and, absolutely and yes there is a poetic way of, of looking at nature at its best I mm. think in, in Gaelic I almost so. feel like you have a Gale lens without knowing the language already so you're <laughs> I see this only going one direction for you yeah. <laughs> well maybe in a year's time uh, people can listen to a Gaelic podcast episode ah, um, um, it will I'm be excited. about two minutes long <laughs> ah, I, it would still be great <laughs> it will be fun. It will be fun. I'll, I look forward to working on that, definitely. Mm. Um, there's another word, and you've already mentioned it, and it's not a Gaelic word. Um, it's, an, an, I guess, I guess an, an English word, biophobia, mm. that I would love for you to explain to listeners what that means and how you address that in mm. your work and kind of how you think it shows up for people. For sure. Um, so biophobia basically refers to the kind of fear or othering of nature and and um, not being comfortable with it. Um, and it's I'd say it's a recent phenomenon. It's something which I first come, came across when I became an open water swim coach. And I realised that, and this was when I was in the, the more inland freshwater lochs of Scotland. And I noticed as the kind of wild swimming craze was developing, people were, although they wanted to engage with, with nature in this, in this sense, they had fundamental barriers in terms of immersing in nature literally you know being in the water and not being comfortable with what was in it um plant life wildlife whatever it might be but i think actually even just being in somewhere which was unknown and um somewhere which i suppose we've been conditioned into thinking is dangerous and we shouldn't do it and and i think this goes back to a culture that we've had for so long in terms of urbanization uh, industrialization where we've moved away from nature and we've 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 forgotten what it's like being in nature and we, we've forgotten to be sympathetic to it and that's the danger of biophobia is that it can lead to an unsym an insympathetic perspective on nature and 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 not a not one of custodianship and and caring for it um so i view that as fundamental to what i'm doing all the time especially out here in Aragail because as you know, we've got some beautiful snorkeling areas nearby, some world-class areas, part of the Argyle Hope Spot. And seaweed, for example, we were talking about earlier, it can be a, it can be a barrier for people. And I, I think it's just so important to, to coach people in that sense, to let them know that 
what they're exhibiting, the feelings they're exhibiting are totally natural. It's okay to feel this way because it's not your fault. It's how we've been conditioned into feeling about this space. But know that there is a way forward. And, and through my techniques and, and my soft start approach, for example, I try and get people to view this differently. And for example, what we were talking about just now with, with, with fame and with seaweed, getting across that different interpretation that is actually a living thing as opposed to just a weed. You know, the, the way Gaelic communicates that is beautiful and it, suddenly I think it, it can change your perspective for some people the the, the colour spectrum in Gaelic as well can be really useful in that regard because you know we never call something we never call a plant like seaweed uenya green that's kind of like an almost like an artificial colour we'd call it godum which suggests it has life so the colour has life it's like a depth of blue so you, you you'd call grass blue like the blue grass is growing or the, the 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 blue seaweed or the blue seagrass and that suggests it has life and being and and uh it should be respected as the gales respected it so yeah going back to the, the gale vision and perspective of nature i think that can tie in with with peeling apart biophobia as much as anything else and i do think it's certainly something which we need to address as we're in this environmental crisis that we're in seeing nature through the Gaelic lens breaking down biophobia getting people into nature I always say that you know when you're going wild swimming or snorkeling you're you're immersing in nature in the truest sense I think in my opinion I mean we're in a forest just now and it's stunning and we, we are immersed in nature but I think when you're in water you are literally within it mm. and uh, you it's a certain level of uh, immersion where you do feel more vulnerable and yeah biophobia is certainly something which can creep in more easily than it can just hit you know in this context um but if we can address that in in in, in a water-based con context i think we can really look forward to to a, a future where we are more connected to nature and we're more sympathetic to it as a whole yeah and i think in the water it also reveals itself much stronger um, mm. I've told you this story before, but listeners won't know this. As a, When I was a child, my parents would drive all the way from Austria to Greece for our summer holidays and spend a lot of time by the beach. And when I was a toddler, I was terrified of the ocean, especially of waves. And when my mum would put me on the sand uh, near the shore and even the tiniest of ripple of water would kind of hit me, I would scream and cry and I was so scared that they had to build a kind of sand barrier around me like a paddle pool, fill it with water. And I was fine with that. And I think throughout my life, this fear of the ocean has shown up in many different ways. And um, I blame my brothers for a bit of it because I'm pretty sure they showed me Jaws <laughs> when I was a child. Um, so that will have contributed to it. But I was always terrified of dark spots, rocks, how close they were, whether they could hurt me, what animals could there be what plants could there be and yes i've definitely had the brushing of seaweed freaking me out in the water but what has really helped is actually snorkeling and being able to look below the surface and seeing oh that rock is actually really far away mm -hmm. or is actually a reef where there's a lot of really cool animals living or it's a beautiful kelp forest it's mm -hmm. not just some sea snake that's trying to get me <laughs> you mm -hmm. know it's not a kelpie it's not loch ness monster it's <laughs> it's all it's all fine and i think that that journey has been quite nice for me because even though i still sometimes get a little scared in the water i can now name that and mm. 
I can find ways to combat it by, for example, putting my snorkeling goggles on and mm-hmm. just having a look mm-hmm. rather than just going in um, by myself. But yeah, I'm also braver now to to go in and just accept and sit in that fear a little bit and that discomfort mm-hmm. as long as I know it's just in my head. It's not mm-hmm. actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I love it because being in that environment, like you say, it's so fully immersive because you are literally immersed. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different... I think experience than walking up a mountain or through a forest, which is all mm. lovely as well. Oh, absolutely! But very, very different. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, hats off to you because you've got to a lot a stage that many people aspire to, and that they can just get in and get a mask on and and snorkel and and be at one with that. Um, so yeah. My and Hain. I think what you said about that element of fascination and how that is important to then be custodians and be you know take responsibility for the land is really interesting as well especially with children have you encountered that biophobia with with children as yes well? yeah absolutely i mean quite quite often it's funny because children can be they're unpredictable by their nature so it's quite always interesting some i mean i'd say a minority can can be really comfortable and and curious but there is a, there is a quite a strong majority where they have a complete kind of disconnection from from especially in a snorking context where you're going out and 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 you're suspended in nature literally as you've just described. Um, so so last year I had um, uh, a family, lovely family from England, and the there was one boy in particular who was just terrified. He couldn't even get get his ankles into the water because he was just totally overwhelmed by as you know there's amazing biodiversity here and you can often see things from from shore or you know barely being in the water um which to you and i would be amazing but obviously to 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 um a child who who has biophobia it can be a huge barrier so he was just observing these beautiful crabs who are scurrying about and he started stamping and and his way of dealing with that was to you know enforce himself on them and to you know let them know that he's here and in many ways that reflects the sort of cultural history of how we've got to this point because you know we we extract from the land we 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 take what we need and 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 you know the wild dark forest or or the deep dark loch you know that that's just somewhere else you know we we don't need to worry about that and what's in there so we had a, a good chat about you know that these crabs it's their home you know like what if you went into to what if they came into your home and started making a racket and and suddenly he just started thinking oh right yeah yeah and then we started talking a little bit more about the, the the ecology of that area and why they're so important for that for that particular um, habitat and and how you know they just view you as a part of that habitat as well if if you just chose to to approach it in in a nice calm and and non kind of clattering about way. So yeah, it was. He came out of that snorkel and it, I, I really hope it had made a, a lasting impression because it seemed that he was more understanding of it and and um more curious as opposed to being afraid and that's what i'm hopefully going to be you know what i what i what i try to get across with my my sessions and my experiences is to be curious to care to 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 recognize what we have see the land and the, and the waters through the gaelic lens and and hopefully embed that that feeling of 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 care and and uh but also a, a yeah, a connection, a deep connection that 
and that that we're all connect interconnected and the more sympathetic we can be to it you know the 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 better all round going forward mm, absolutely and so beyond the work that you do as a swim coach you have i know you've also recently done a course about gaelic tourism and gaelic cultural tourism that spanned ireland and scotland didn't mm. it can you tell us a bit more about that and kind of what kind of projects you're looking forward to working on and kind of what we can expect to see you doing beyond the kind of swim side of things oh yeah absolutely um it was a fantastic course um an amazing network opportunity on one hand but also a lot of learning on the other um had no expectations going into it um i was to be honest with you i was quite intimidated because i was surrounded by native irish gaelic speakers and native scottish gaelic speakers and i probably had the least gaelic out of everyone but it was a huge learning experience for me in that sense i'm really glad that i put myself in that environment and what it did in terms of my learning was it just made me understand how to be more authentic in terms of being part of the, the gaelic economy or the gaelic economy in both scotland and ireland how to create experiences that put that front and center and and do it justice as well um, but also how we can work together across Gaeldom, you know, whether it's people on Sky, on the Outer, Heb- you know, on the Outer Hebrides, in on the north coast of Ireland, and share our common culture um, for the benefit of, of all of us, and and really ensure that, you know, there are certain parts of Scotland where over tourism can be a problem, but also other parts where there is a lack of authentic Gaelic tourism. So. I really hope that I can be a part of that positive movement towards especially my area where where I can put that front front and center and give tourists actually and anyone visiting the area locals included an avenue to experiencing that authentically mm. and and that's really important and giving people an opportunity to pay into the Gaelic economy as well and I think that's increasingly what um we need to do to ensure our tourism is sustainable but also our our communities are sustainable and our culture is sustainable yeah. So oh in terms of projects as well um I'm looking forward to to networking with with a few of them to to possibly create experiences. I work very closely with Agava Bruin who is a, an amazing cultural steward of our area. He's got he's one of the last native speakers of the Aragail uh dialect. Or oh, sorry, not a native speaker. He learned it himself through through dedicating his life to it and he's taught it to his kids who are native speakers. So I'm working very closely with him in terms of making sure that I am communicating the, the the Gaelic culture of our area authentically and also various little cool projects like we've just done some filming for an Australian production actually um we had a, such good crack filming actually um with Agiv so basically the 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 the, the meaning behind it, or the sort of plot of the film is um an Australian person who's connecting with the aboriginal side of Australia and he is returning back to his ancestral links in Gaeldom in Scotland and um basically my job is my job as part of it was to do the filming you know so to have the camera on my hand and he's swimming through back to Scotland and he comes to Agiv as the as the Gaelic tradition bearer but anyway i'm probably explaining too much about that you'll have to see it it's coming out i think probably in the next few weeks and i've also been part of the spirit of scotland uh, stories which is coming out shortly or has already come out and it's it was um uh where i'm basically a part of a few people across the highlands and islands who 
who are sharing a little bit about the the, the storytelling, the law, um, nature of our particular area. And there's other little bits and pieces that I'm probably uh, they've just gone out of my head. <laughs> so. Amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, by the time this airs, we'll, it will probably all be out then. So we'll we'll pop the links in the show notes so people can kind of look at uh, your work and and the things you were involved with. I know you're also going to do. We're obviously um, sailing together for a wild swimming trip, but I know you're also working on a sailing oh, collaboration yes. on on the coast that takes more inspiration, I guess, from that Gaelic cultural tourism. Oh yeah, practice, absolutely. Doesn't it? Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a good few training trips that I'm really much looking forward to. And then I'm going to finish this season with um, a collaboration with Stravagan where we are going to be, uh, it's a long weekend and we're going to be exploring, as you put it beautifully, the ancestral waterways of, of, of Gaelic culture, certainly what I relate to anyway. And um, we're going to be swimming, immersing in nature and in beautiful spots, maybe that are quite hard to reach and a big focus of that trip is going to be communicating Gaelic culture, talking about the language, you know, some will hopefully speak some, some, some basic Gaelic and, and share some insight into the indigenous dialect of this area as well, um, which maybe you don't always hear every day. Um, and we're also going to be getting in some, some storytelling, um, some music. My wife's an incredible Gaelic singer who's been recognized for her, her, ability to tradition bear in that way so i'm really excited to um collaborate with john on that who has john has a fantastic um appreciation for for, for this and uh, i think he's as equally as excited as me so yeah we're gonna have loads of crack and it's gonna be great fantastic it sounds so good so much fun now a bit sad that i can't come along but hopefully you'll do it again in yeah, the future absolutely uh, I'm an, and i'll join you then and hopefully some listeners can join you in for that for as sure well. i think i finally found a person who uh, the midges love even more than me because <laughs> you're being absolutely eaten alive and I, I just flick one or two away every few every time. Yeah, you're, so yeah you've got a, <laughs> I feel got very a, lucky. Yeah. But um, in the spirit of that, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners? Anything we haven't covered um, and mm. you want to see? One thing I would say is, you know, if you were thinking about exploring Gaelic Scotland you know, there's so many amazing guys, there's so many amazing experiences. What I would say is, if you can, invest in the Gaelic economy, because not only will you um, contribute to the sustainability of that area, you'll also invest in a culture which is, and language that, that's marginalised, and you'll have an authentic experience. So I'm not just talking about myself, I'm talking about any anyone across Gaelic Scotland, Um Go for it. Yeah, as we say in, in, in Gaelic, shuit or shuitiv. Go for it. Explore. Immerse yourself in Gaelic Scotland. Fantastic. How can people find you online and stay up to date with what you do? Um, so my, my Instagram is swim Dan the Merman Argyle. A uh, bit of a mouthful. <laughs> and um, my Facebook is the same. If you're ever in the area, I run a, a, um, I started a conversational group um, with other people. It's called Compiane Carriada. So it's a local Gaelic conversation group. So if you know, if you ever happen to be in the heart of Argyle or Mid-Argyle area, um, you're very welcome to come along to hear Gaelic being spoken or try a bit yourself. I also help to organise a Haley Harnach, um, which is a community Cayley uh, in Cairn Ban. And again, it's really open. Visitors are very welcome uh, to contribute uh, as it 
culturally should be you know very open and laid back and you'll get to hear some some gaelic song and um, traditional music so yeah i suppose i think i answered that in different ways <laughs> yeah in it's person amazing. yeah in person and online it's fantastic i hope yeah. many many people have the pleasure to meet you and and participate in some of the experiences you're putting on thank you so much for taking the time thank you for bearing with the midges uh, throughout <laughs> all of these questions and for sharing your stories and your insights and and thoughts about everything to do with water and Gaelic in Scotland. Ah, shed the veil, Cathy. Good morning, morning, Margaret. You're very welcome, Cathy. Um, and this is an, an Argyle Gaelic way of saying thank you. So, the goodness is really on you, or you have so much goodness on you. Good morning, morning, Margaret. Thank you so much. If you're listening to this episode the week it comes out, Dan and I are actually on a sailboat together, sailing around the Hebridean Islands in search of secluded swim spots. I'll be sharing some updates from our journey over on Instagram, at Wild for Scotland. You can connect with Dan on Instagram too, to find out about any future adventures he's hosting. Follow him at swim underscore dandemerman underscore argyle, or head to his website swimdandemerman.com. Patreon supporters of this show will get to hear even more from Dan this month in a bonus conversation about Gaelic stories, myths and phrases about water and nature. In the full show notes on our website, you can find lots of helpful resources and links about things we mention in this episode. One of them is a blog post I wrote full of tips for engaging with Gaelic culture and language on your trip to Scotland. In this week's newsletter, we'll revisit some tips for outdoor swimming in Scotland, how to stay safe and how to get accustomed to the cold water, whether it's in the sea or a freshwater loch. You can find the link to subscribe and all other links in the show notes. And if outdoor swimming is right up your alley, you might enjoy the episode Ushke from season four, in which we swim together in Loch Tay and meet outdoor swimmer Callum McLean for a chat. And with this... I send you off to dream about your own journey to the west coast of Scotland, whether you're in search of a refreshing dip, a lesson in Gaelic language, or a little bit of both. Next week, we're heading north and away from the sea to immerse ourselves in the deep dark pools of the flow country and speak with an RSPB ranger who's fallen for the unexpected. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. If you enjoyed this story, remember to take a screenshot of your podcast app right now and share it on your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us so we can say thank you. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Tarowski, who is the co-producer and editor, and does the sound design. Michelle Payne and Anesso Matanda Mambingo are supporting us with social media and transcripts. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different watery place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmecom forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries 
and turn your travel dreams into reality.